Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening in today, and thanks for joining uh, this ATARC podcast. Um, I'm Brian Fox, and I work with Omni Federal, but I love supporting ATARC uh, and this podcast, all focused on doing tech better in government. Um, today, we have Graham Baggett coming in from U.S. Census, and we're going to be talking about all the improvements, uh, the technical and digital improvements that are underway to support the Dicennial, uh, such an impactful mission. Uh, it's called out for in the Constitution. Uh, so clearly, uh, it's very important. And with their uh, engagement with the US, uh, with the American public, uh, there's clearly a digital footprint to that. Um, so Graham has uh, just been pushing things forward. Um, and it's been very impactful. So we're just uh, excited to be uh, talking with them today. Graham, thank you so much for joining us. Brian, thanks for having me. This is a pleasure. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Um, Grant, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your organization, and your role there? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Graham Baggett, and I'm an IT manager at the U.S. Census Bureau. Uh, specifically, I work in the Decennial uh, Information Technology Division. Um, so census, um, we produce you know dozens of different censuses and surveys, but of course the big one we work on is the decennial census. And I am um, a branch chief in decennial census and mainly supporting the geography division because uh, the key theme for our censuses and surveys is that we wanna be able to count people, count them once, but then we also need to be able to count them in the right place. And so that's where that geographic component comes in. And so uh, my team, what we do is we manage web-based applications that are mainly for internal users at the Census Bureau. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. Um, you all have been modernizing. You are in the midst of your, your, uh, your journey regarding agile methods, cloud-based capabilities, and DevSecOps methods and tools. What have you all been able to accomplish there, Grant? Sure. So, um, you know, like almost any organization, we started with a lot of waterfall processes. Um, and then we did some software development that was incorporating some concepts of Agile and Scrum, but it was uh, sort of loosely informally done. And so I remember back in 2014, um, taking a, a class on Scrum. Um, and that was interesting because I had never really been formally exposed to it. I'd heard the concept of Agile and all that. And this was uh, a great way to get trained on it and see, you know, how, how does this thing work? Um, that's sort of like the buzzword around IT at the beginning of the, the, the 2010s. And so I went back to my manager and said, hey, I, I got trained. I'd, I'd like to be able to use this um, skill. And we were able to work on a project uh, in Decennial IT um, where we could start doing Scrum. And so there were some cool advantages to that because as you know, um, we were able to collaborate well together as a team because now we're meeting regularly day by day. And then we're also um, able to coordinate better with the product owners um, because we've got these presentations, these um, sprint reviews that you're doing every two weeks. Um, and then um, one thing that was particularly helpful that we were not doing in any way, shape or fashion was we had contacted the independent testing team and said, hey, can you give us some individuals and basically in, incorporate them directly into the dev team? 
Um, so the previous model was we develop our software and then it was sort of that kind of traditional throw it over the wall. Okay, now we're gonna release the test. Now the testers have to figure out, okay, what is this application? What are we doing here? How does it work? What do we need to test? Um, and so of course there was a lot of overhead in trying to get someone up to speed. And of course, by the time it's gone to test, it may have gotten a whole lot of functionality in the application. Now we've embedded the testers directly into the dev team. And that was a really big help for quality because um, the testers are right there on the ground floor. As soon as we're rolling something out, just in the development environment, they can test it and give fast feedback. Um, so all part of that sort of you know DevOps flow of trying to get um, fast feedback about what you're trying to do um, and that continuous learning aspect. So that was really helpful um, to go to a more formalized scrum and specifically for embedding the testers. Now, um, what, one of the challenges that we hit there was that our web application would get so large that it was impractical for the testers to be able to constantly test everything about that web application. And so, um, you know, there'd be some cases where, um, you know, they're, they're having to focus, the testers are, on the new functionality and they're making a strategic decision to say this new functionality is what's most likely to break. So we're gonna focus on that, but there's just too much work to be done to constantly test the entire application all the time. And so what we said is, okay, um, when we move forward, let's see if we can bridge that gap. How do we do something where we are still highly valuing our testers um, who are doing that type of, you know, on the grounds, hands-on, very useful feedback, but at the same time, you know, how do we, how do we close that coverage gap? And so we, we really started pressing into some of these principles of continuous integration. And so when we came up with the next web application, we said, okay, let's see if we can get automated testing stood up for our web application. Um, and so that was a little bit tricky because um, you're not talking about just simple, you know, running unit tests, you're running sort of large um, UI based regression testing. Uh, and then again, as the application grows, the UI regression test suite needs to grow as well. Um, so we were able to bring in some testers, some automated testers to focus on that aspect. And then really what we've been doing is just expanding out on continuous integration. So of course, um, we've got our team. We were able to move from a file-based repository to a Git-based repository. And so that allowed us to um, really build in code quality in a very natural, organic way. So before, when you have a file-based system, it's sort of tricky because you have to say, all right, I've got this file. How do I ensure quality for it? You know, and, and we had a pessimistic lock-in system. So either the person got to make the change and you just sort of had to remember to go back and check it, or you would have to lock all the files and then you know the person would send the file to you in an email maybe and you'd look it over and say, oh no, that's not what I want. Here's some feedback um, or, uh, you know, okay, everything looks good. Now I'll take it and, you know, check it into the system. When we moved to this branch-based system, uh, it became organic. So what that means is you've got a team, 
with the technical lead and then developers under her. And the developers are gonna create a branch, they're gonna work on that branch, and then they're gonna submit that merge request, pull request, um, some people call it. Um, but the point is, there's a natural opportunity to say, okay, before we are gonna roll out with this code, let's get some eyes on this by the technical lead. And then it's a very natural way where when the person is ready um, to have that code merged, um, there's an automated email that goes out that says, hey, merge request is happening. And so that allows the technical lead to say, ah, okay, I know right away, I can go take a look at it. That, that she has a tool she can use that very easily gives her the diffs um, to see, okay, what are we checking in here? Does this make sense? And so we've got that very organic um, code quality process happening from a manual perspective. And we've also got it going on from an automated perspective pipeline. And that's going to allow us to, and so that will allow us to say, okay, hey, here's some things that you're doing. It's not necessarily breaking the code. It's still working, but it's, there's some sort of problem where there's a better way to do it. And we're going to give you these suggestions. And we have a report that's pulled up. And so not only can the technical lead review the code itself, but she can also take a look at the code quality report to say, okay, um, based on this merge request, here are the different issues that have been identified. Um, you know, are these things that maybe are, you know, points of uh, difference of opinion where some person can say, yes, that's a good idea, but maybe that doesn't make sense in our context. Or um, do we see the report growing? Like, is this new... Um, release going to introduce, you know, higher problems? Uh, is it lowering the quality? And so she can make that type of, of judgment. And then the last thing I want to talk about um, is security. So, um, you know, security obviously is a big deal in the federal government. Um, of course, before you have to release to um, production, you need, you need to get that authority to operate. Um, but then also there's continuous monitoring going on. So it's not just a one and done type of approach to security. And so what we said is we really need to shift left, not just on testing, not just on quality, but also security. And so for us, that is, you know, baking security into that application development process. And so in our CI pipeline, we're going to run several scans on the code. We want to run that static application security testing to see, okay, the code itself, um, are we getting any type of SQL injection concerns? Are there concerns with cross-site scripting? Um, you know, cross um, request forgery, um, those type of problems um, can be found out quickly. Um, we have the dynamic application security testing. So that's where we're going to deploy the app and then we're going to run um, a, an application that's going to actively scan the deployed application and say, hmm, okay, uh, based on the entirety, the holistic application itself, what are some potential security vulnerabilities here? Um, and so we'll get notice before we're going into production about potential problems there. And then lastly, is that dependency scanning, that source composition analysis. Because um, as you know, even with all of the code that's being written for the vast majority of applications and certainly for web applications, you're not writing everything from scratch. You know, um, you're not writing your own Linux kernel. You're not writing your own uh, you know, uh, web-based framework or any of those type of things. These are all building blocks that have been given to you and they're great, but um, you've got to know, do we have some vulnerabilities here in our dependencies? You know, what we're relying upon are building blocks themselves. Um, you know, we had that big Log4j uh, security incident, uh, you know, worldwide. Uh, and so, you know, that's obviously something not that any 
agency wrote, but so many agencies are depending on Log4j for their Java apps. And so doing something like dependency scanning uh, gives us the ability to analyze our dependencies and find out, okay, do we have security vulnerabilities in the code that we're relying upon? That's wonderful, Graham. I, I'm, I'm curious as, as you all move security left and clearly started picking up velocity of development, how did that help you all feel more comfortable about where you were at from a security, cybersecurity standpoint, as well as actually responding to things like Log4j when, when they pop up? Yeah, there's, um, it, it, it does give you more of a sense that we're doing a holistic approach to security um, because security often is something that is taken care of by other people in the government. You know, we have people that are, um, you know, information system security officers, information security managers. And so typically as a developer, it's not that, you know, no one, no one desires write insecure code. Of course, you know, in a perfect world, our code would be perfectly secure, but it, it can be tough to remind developers that, you know what, in this modern era, um, with all different kinds of um, threats uh, and challenges, um, especially for web-based applications, which is what my area works on, you know, security really needs to be everyone's responsibility. And so by getting these tools and giving fast feedback to the developers, you know, we can help bridge that gap because um, people who are in the security area, you know, dedicated security professionals, they may not have the bandwidth to constantly be actively looking at your application and you know um, trying to manually look at code and all that type of stuff. So again, kind of like what we talked about with testing, where we've got professionals who are really good at doing analysis, we've got the same thing in the information security world, but there's limited bandwidth there. And so again, just like when we had to bridge the gap with automated testing, these automated security scans help us to bridge that gap to say, okay, we've got security professionals, they're giving us good advice, they're telling us what we need to do, they're doing their own reviews, but we've also got these automated tools that are supplementing the work that they're doing. And so it's allowing us to take a more holistic approach to security and, and understanding things and also spreading that knowledge because as the developers look at these reports, then that go, cause them to go back and say, oh, okay, so this is a SQL injection violation. Okay, so what is SQL injection? Okay, I, okay yeah, I understand that. Okay, now how do I address that? What do I do here? You know, like, what, am I, what am I doing that's vulnerable? Oh, okay, instead of using a statement, I need to use a prepared statement or whatever it might be um, so that they can help close those gaps. From a people and culture, and I'm almost thinking of like internal events, how are you, because the automation can help build a bridge, but as far as helping to bake security in on the development side, how are y'all how are y'all facilitating that from the the wonderful security professionals that have limited bandwidth? There's only so many of them. How, how are you getting them to educate, influence, facilitate understanding and the importance of it, et cetera? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, we we've we've got a tool that we've been using that is going to um, help us take security to the next level by improving its visibility. So what we currently have been doing up until literally a week ago was we'd, been, we'd be running these scans and we run them um, consistently. So we're running them in our continuous integration process, uh, you know, daily, oftentimes multiple times a day. 
So that's great, but we don't really have great visibility. So in other words, we're gonna run a scan, but all that information is gonna be dumped into logs somewhere. And we might have some um, uh, triggers set up to say, okay, if you find certain thing here, fail the pipeline and then you know send an automated email out. So we'll have some visibility from the developer. They might run something and say, oh, I just checked in something and that caused that pipeline to fail for a security reason. Let me go look into that. So we have some visibility there, but um, if you're an information security professional and you're coming in, you know, you're gonna have to do a lot of digging that, okay, what is this project and, and what are the vulnerabilities? And now, okay, we've seen the scan, okay, but now I'm gonna have to like dig through logs and figure out, you know, okay, what do we got here? And, and, and what's the status of these things? Have, have they been looked at? Are, are they being, you know, tracked? Are, are these things where maybe it's a false failure and we can, you know, we all agree that yes, we think that this is not an actual failure so we can mark that in such a way. What we're doing now is we're trying to integrate those scans into a security dashboard. And so that security dashboard is going to allow us to have greater visibility to say, hey, let me invite um, the InfoSec people that can come in and without having to kind of, you know, dig down deep into the weeds, they can get an overall view and say, okay, how's your dependency scanning looking? How's your SAS looking? How's your DAS looking? Um, and, and see, okay, well, where are we? I, I see that we've identified these. What, what's the status? They can track the report. They can give feedback. And so I think that we are moving to a way that is going to help us with that people aspect that you're talking about, help us bridge the gap instead of saying, oh yeah, we run scans and you know go dig in our logs. Now we have this nice report and a dashboard and we can say, here, go to this URL and now you can get a holistic picture of all the different scans and reports. And you can even aggregate them if you want between different projects to say, okay, how are we doing holistically on security? Not necessarily for your specific web application, but as an organization. And so I think that will really help facilitate good collaboration between dev and security. Because at, at the end of the day, we're all on the same team. You know, security right. so often gets a bad rap for being like the no, no people. The you can't do this, you can't do that. Stop. And they're seen as blockers, right? And mm -hmm. and in reality, they're they're helping us. They they're part of the solution, not part of the problem. And so the more we can integrate with them and get their good feedback and incorporate that early and give them transparency and visibility into our application, what we're doing that's better for everybody. That makes their job easier. There'll be a lot of collaboration um, coming up soon. Great. Next thing I'm curious about, because you you kind of alluded to it, and I think it's something that can shake out through integrating folks together through pushing on DevOps, continuous uh, integration, continuous uh, deployment of, of applications is that like underlying architecture application or, or system architecture and one of one of the, the big things that can start to uh, come up is moving from monolithic applications to modular uh, anything you can share as far as where you're at with that how that may have come about in, in your organization uh, as you needed to start delivering faster start responding to security situations uh, quicker, but then also just trying to get work through on a, on a code repository and, and through a CI CD pipeline? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good question. So um, for a lot of these newer type of technologies and approaches, 
um, this is a new frontier for us. So um, in, in, in the old days, we might have a mono repo where we've got the entire application in one. Now we're trying to break it up a little bit and make it um, it's almost like a bilith rather than a monolith. Um, and of course, as you mentioned, there's opportunities to become more and more modular and take more of that microservices approach. Obviously, microservices isn't a cure-all, um, but still, it, it, it's a good approach for certain circumstances. And I think there's a lot of benefits to trying out um, that microservices approach where we can have someone that says, okay, um, you know, my team's writing Angular over here and your team's Python, but that's fine because, you know, we'll just communicate through an abstract communication protocol. We'll just say, okay, look, we'll talk through HTTP and then your team can work on that. And I don't even need to know the language you're working on. I just need a, a REST API endpoint and I can consume that endpoint. And then now I can um, provide better services to uh, my end users who are using that web app. And of course, it's completely transparent to them too. They don't know that, okay, I'm calling some third party service. So we're trying to adopt more of an approach of um, breaking applications down, um, you know, putting them into those right size modules. Um, that's something that we need to work on going in the future. And then also moving to the cloud. Um, how does that help in terms of getting us to be more agile um, rather than just say doing agile, how do you become more agile? Um, and so, you know, I, we talked about before the interview that Gene Kim did with Dr. Steven Spear, and he really talks a lot about two things. He talks about structure and dynamics. And so we're working on some things in our organization to address that structural piece to say, okay, we've done application development um, and, and it's worked fine. But now that we're moving into a new area, new, new technology, uh, we can look back at the 2020 census and say, okay, what worked well? What can we do better for 2030? And now how can we organize in a way that, that those dynamics become better just naturally? Um, so um, some of that reorganization process, some of that, you know, figuring out what is what does migration to cloud look like? What is migration to, you know, again, breaking down these applications so that we're not reinventing the wheel. You know, we may have some services that can be used across applications. And so why do we want to have all of our teams writing their own service like logging or, you know, some of these other services that have sort of generic broad appeal. And so, um, yeah, we're starting down that path and uh, hopefully uh, it, it'll be, be a good transition for us. Well, it sounds like you all are having a lot of success in making the necessary brave movements. Graham, what were some critical enablers in your DevSecOps, your modernization journey? What were some critical enablers there? Yeah, yeah. It's really buy-in from leaders and, and buy-in from peers, from coworkers. Um, so like, for example, you know, when we made our very first uh, step in going agile um, and I talked about how, oh, well, hey, we should get those um, testers and we should embed them into the development team. That was a radical concept for us. And the, the testing lead, she could have said, oh, wait a minute, that's gonna take a lot of time away from my people. We have dozens of applications we need to test. We don't have the bandwidth for that. And so that's, and it's also unproven here. This is the way we've been doing things. And so if we hadn't gotten buy-in from her, that whole thing would not have worked. And then we would have lost out on that quality. But because she was open-minded and said, okay, I'm willing to try this new approach, then we were able to 
try it out. And sure enough, it worked great. And so to this day, we continue to have testers embedded in that dev team to get that fast feedback on application developments. So that buy-in is really important. Um, and also from um, senior management. So uh, another thing that we've mentioned in the past, there's a, there's a great book um, that I got to read by Jonathan Smart called Sooner, Safer, Happier. And he has these principles of patterns, good patterns for um, IT management and then anti-patterns. And one of his anti-patterns is grassroots, it's a grass ceiling. So in other words, if the, if the zeal to modernize and to go um, with new technology and, and embrace DevOps and really break down silos, if that's happening at the grassroots level only, you're not gonna get very far because leadership is not gonna understand it. They're gonna say, this is causing problems and now lines are getting blurred and we're confused and um, you know, we don't support matrix management, whatever might um, be the objection. But again, you're gonna hit that ceiling versus if you've got leadership that are coming in and saying, yes, we see what you're trying to do. And now we're gonna support you. We're gonna work with budget or finance or whoever it is, get the tools that you need to be able to do um, what you wanna be able to do. And we'll be able to track that and see the payoff. Um, that's making a big difference. And so um, there's a great African proverb that says, if you wanna go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, go together. And so that's really what we've had to learn in terms of enabling DevOps and um, modernization, digital modernization is, all right, instead of focusing so quickly on going fast, let's focus on going far, which means that we need to get buy-in and, and kind of bring people along for the journey and make sure that we're not sort of running out too far ahead and, and asking everyone to kind of just get with the program. Is there anything you're doing or you're getting help from senior leadership or even colleagues that are like responsible for software testing, anything that's helping to enable the go far that you're doing that others are helping you with or enabling on, really on the people aspect, because that's so yeah. critical in government, probably any other organization, but definitely government. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's a good, that's a good point. So we've got some good vision coming down from leadership because I think that they are seeing the value of these modern approaches and the need for it. Um, and it's a, it's a good time for us to be innovating uh, because we're post 2020. Um, there's still some 2020 work to be done, but the bulk of it is obviously done. Um, and then we're looking forward to 2030. Um, we, it, decennial census is one of the largest peacetime operations that the government undertakes. And so it's such a massive project that already work has begun in trying to get ready for 2030. And so leadership is really trying to look back and say, okay, we're far enough out from 2020 where we see what worked well, what we could do better, and let's be forming groups. Uh, and they have things called enhancement areas to say, okay, uh, here are things that we can do better for 2030 and casting a vision and then trying to reach out with other senior leaders to make sure that everyone is on board. You know, Even people that aren't necessarily directly IT, making sure the business understands that hey, if we go this modernization route, this is really gonna help you. That it's all about um, delivering value and this will accelerate the speed and delivery of value to you. So you, even though you're not necessarily an IT person, you the business leader, you'll profit too if you'll support us in this movement. Um, so yeah, a lot of it is happening 
uh, at the senior leadership level. And then that's enabling us to kind of work um, and, and, and kind of head toward that vision. That's excellent to hear, Graham. Sounds like y'all's successes are being touted by seniors and uh, they're, they're sharing the, the impact there. That's great. Um, moving forward though, what are some challenges and opportunities that you're seeing uh, at, at Census as far as uh, move, continuing to move the needle with uh, digital modernization at, at Census? Yeah, so, um... You know, I've, I've talked a lot about continuous integration uh, and I feel like that that's going well and we're continuing to improve there. And then one of the next big steps for us is really to get to that continuous deployment, continuous delivery phase. Um, so we want to be able to say, okay, um, you know, we, we still have all of our 853 NIST security controls. So we're not um, breaking any rules here. We wanna make sure that we have separation of duties and, you know, approved releases and that our code is secure and all the things that we care about um, for security, but we also wanna be able to accelerate that delivery of value through continuous delivery. So for continuous integration, it's a lot about organizing with the development team themselves and just making sure that we have good practices for how the team interacts. And now we need to bring in um, other folks and collaborate strongly with them. So um, the server folks and the release folks and the managers and get everyone on the same page to say, okay, we want to do that CD piece of CI, CD. Uh, and we have some ways that we're working on that. We've got some people that are coming in and advising on us that. And so that's going to be the next big step is to say, okay, let's see if we can release faster without sacrificing quality and making sure that we're still adhering to all the NIST security controls that we are committed to um, upholding. Well, it sounds like uh, a wonderful journey ahead for you, then. Um, and you're, you're you're tracking on some uh, some critical next steps there. Um, is there any anything else you'd like to share uh, regarding your journey? Uh, what what you've covered so far, or, or where you're going to be uh, moving out to next? Yeah, yeah. I think um, as I talked about before, you know, we're we're just starting to really figure out what cloud looks like for us, and that's interesting. Mm -hmm. That's going to be another kind of big step. So one was going from CI to CD, and then the other is going to be embracing cloud. Um, so we had some activities that were cloud-based in 2020, and now we're looking to accelerate that. And so you know, there's going to be a lot of challenges there. With okay, do you take a lift and shift approach? Do you you know try and retool everything so that you're cloud native, cloud first? Um, you know, what, what about things that are already kind of large and have many tentacles? How do you get those type of things in the cloud? Um, so trying to work through those challenges and figure out, okay, what makes the most sense? What should be left as on-prem? What should go to the cloud? What do we need to start over in the cloud? Um, and try to work through those decisions. I think that's gonna be another big push for us uh, as we continue to modernize. Well, looking forward to hearing how you all continue to progress. We'll, we'll definitely have to have you on here uh especially as the, uh, the, the next census approaches. So, and, yeah, and you all continue to accomplish so much, but Graham, thank you so much today for, for your time and, and thoughts. Anything else in closing, sir? No, just thanks so much for having me on. Um, I, I appreciate that you have this type of podcast and for the groups that you work on, because 
one of the things that I'm always telling people is that um, as we modernize, as we go through this digital modernization and the DevOps journey, it's always useful for me to find out what other federal agencies are doing and collaborate with them. Um, and so, you know, recently I was at a conference and I got to hear what the US Patent and Trade Office was doing. And so that was great. So then based on that presentation, I was able to make a connection with one of the employees there and next uh, week, you know, I'll be able to talk with them and find out, okay, like, how are you solving these challenges over at USPTO? And, and, and PTO is Department of Commerce. So like we're in the same, even direct family within the federal yeah. government. And so hearing how federal government agencies are doing it is so helpful because they're gonna have a lot of the similar challenges that we're facing at Census. And if they're farther along in their journey, they can help us. And then maybe we, we, can, we can help them solve some of their challenges if possible. Um, but it's so great to be able to collaborate sort of across the federal agency spectrum. And I appreciate the work that you've been doing to kind of help facilitate that. Graham, thank you for that. And uh, for uh, the audience, as, as you all are listening to this, uh, this is an opportunity to share. Graham, you, you said it very well. Um, the answers can always be different based on different contexts. You know, so what's working for NGA doesn't work for USPTO, may not work for census, right? People choosing different practices and methods and tools that make the most sense for their context. But it's there's so much to be gained by sharing why certain practices are, are uh, in place and why certain tools were chosen that gives folks uh, an opportunity to reconsider um, and, uh, and and help move the needle forward in their particular department or agency. So absolutely. And uh, I would just, uh, for anyone in the audience, if you'd like to share, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, uh, sure, appreciate it. And, and Graham, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. absolutely. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Brian.